Welcome to another installment of Show to View with Mike G, the show of life, the show of California metal, being a good brother, New York, and so much more. With today's guest, Ryan Herzog, now of the Fratelli Bronca family, formerly of Sweet Polly, a New Yorker, a Californian. We talk about a lot of different things, him being a good brother. He was recently in town, kind of touring around with his sister who was writing some great sibling relationship there, and we got to sit down and chat. He's a good guy, and soon we will introduce to the world a new metal band, I'll play bass. Ryan can play guitar. So, without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy this great chat with Ryan Herzog. Mother was born and raised in San Jose, and then I... My sisters and I were born and raised in a town called Pleasanton, which Pleasanton, is in, okay. it's in the East Bay area. It's like the epitome of suburbia. Yeah. Really like, you know, not that cool <laughs> to talk about, like in you know, the bigger scale of things. Um, but <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, twenty minutes away from Oakland, twenty minutes away from San Jose, thirty minutes away from San Francisco. Yeah. So, you know, pretty centrally located in a way. Um, but what, yeah. Would your would your mom do out there? Um, what line of work? So yeah. that's actually pretty interesting. Like, I feel like in some ways, what I do now, I'm taking a lot from what she does. So she, um, she does corporate events. Okay. And she started, you know, back in the '90s and like the tech boom. Yeah, yeah. And um, she didn't get. She didn't go to college. She was just really, you know, good at like communicating and right. creating like, events and like forming the ideas and doing all the organization and stuff like that. And she, you know, one job led to another, led to another, led to another. And then she fell into corporate events and loved it. And she loves like producing. She does like now she works for Cisco cool. and she created their Cisco live conference. Um, so she, and now she does like the global you know, Cisco live yeah, events yeah. all over the world. So she's a people person. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so um, it's funny, like now that I'm in this hospitality industry and yeah. working behind the stick, and I was, you know, formerly a full-time ambassador, cur- currently a part-time brand ambassador, and like we we are always throwing events. And like if you're behind the stick, your job is to throw a really awesome party, right? Right. <laughs> in a way, and as a brand ambassador, you end up throwing a lot of events and hosting functions and things like that. Yeah. So I always find myself like especially you know in the earlier days which weren't so far away but <laughs> yeah. are you not, still not so, in your 20s yes i am okay so, so that's not, not that long ago yeah, yeah not like you know we're talking like maybe a couple years ago that's like, right yeah <laughs> me and that's a hard maybe um <laughs> but yeah i'll like have find myself like having to reach out to her like wanting to reach out to her like hey like i need to do this event how the heck do you do this and, yeah like, it's kind of crazy that she is in the events business and now i'm kind of you know by default in the events business too well yeah because it sounds like you're saying you're 12 year old you're rebelling so Mm -hmm. you wanted to take a different path at that point what might have been your interest then because obviously event planning is not something (laughs) that a teenager thinks about yeah no um well when i was 12 definitely wanted to like be in a death metal band playing what (laughs) you guitarist um i started off playing bass okay but then obviously in metal um we have like the unique in metal that bass just gets drowned out that's right and justice for all a case study man yeah (laughs) exactly so you know i quickly switched from my five string bass and you know just got a five string bass because all the metal basses have five string bass got lower yeah so (laughs) um quickly switched to a guitar so um yeah started getting pretty into that and that was uh my main Became my main instrument. What, what when you think about metal, which is probably what in the early two thousands when you're doing this? Yeah. Um, what, what was really kind of influential at that point? Because I think I stopped listening to metal, like Poison the Well. I was listening to I think around that mm-hmm. point, but that's kind of not metal necessarily. So um, the first metal song I ever heard and liked 
like i mean it was basically the first time i heard metal i was like oh this is so cool right um and it was ironically was on trl <laughs> so, yeah so i heard metal for the first time <laughs> via mtv um i was nine years old and it was corn falling away from me oh that's a great song <laughs> from though the, from the issues album yeah and um coincidentally like at that time you know i'd watch end up like watching trl every day because i was you know before like, well we all had a crush on carson Taylor. yeah you know and before like we could just download things on the internet so i was yeah. like watch every day to like watch this music video and then that was when it also had like slipknot and mud vein and puddle yeah. of mud and i mean i know you know not like i wouldn't vod consider. right yeah that yeah. i think that was oh, around yeah. that time. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i was yeah. just i heard them the other day and i'm like that was a certain time in mm-hmm. music yeah so those were like the first metal bands that i you know it's new metal yeah yeah um but those were like the first metal bands that i started listening to and was like really into that like subgenre of metal yeah but then you know when i got into like middle school and was like 11 12 and started like hearing all these other types of metal and like mainly like the 80s stuff yeah like all the, you know like Judas, megadeth and stuff yeah Judas megadeth, especially metallica yeah um and like you know the hair metal stuff quiet riot guns and roses absolutely like van halen all that kind of stuff so you know it's kind of funny like i started at that one point and then grew from there and this started getting like heavier and heavier and heavier <laughs> did you become pretty pretty proficient guitarist as they say um i became all right and in high school i just like started going on this pathway where i was like getting into just the type of metal that i was listening to like, yeah i started finding myself listening to like stuff that was like really technical like, fa- and, like fast ultimately or just um, stuff that's like both like yeah. i mean you know, in high school, Children of Bodom was like my favorite oh, geez, yeah. metal band, and there, Alexi Leho obviously is like super fast and like super gifted guitarist. But there was also like I was listening to also, you know, just really heavy stuff like that was kind of different, like Gore Guts. I mean, you know, hmm. I know they're old, um, but they are like so technical and like not necessarily like in a fast way, but just like kind of a weird like ambient way, right? Almost. So I started like experimenting. I I um I got the scale bible and started like yeah <laughs> trying to learn all these different scales and through that kind of started like teaching myself music like yeah. the music theory side of things um but then it was like right at that point where I was like just about to get onto something really really juicy yeah um that I kind of took a different path um and what kind it, of ditched the metal scene um did something happen or was like some interest in something else was um, it a girl which happens sometimes <laughs> <laughs> i mean girls you know always a factor yeah um in that age but it was really just kind of like a rift like of the friends like um i really like in you know high school wasn't really into drugs and stuff like yeah. that and a lot of like my metal friends started getting like a little bit too much into like drugs and so i kind of wanted to disassociate myself just sure. from that whole scene um well I'll suck you in man you yeah, know you'll, exactly it just takes one time to do it and then you're just sucked into that whole exactly and like luckily like uh, my parents like i guess were pretty good at, like teaching me you know like self-control and like yeah. sticking up for myself and not just like falling into the crowd so you know there were a lot of times where my friends would like be doing drugs and I'd just be like, nope, like don't want to do them. Yeah. Well, I mean, you have to do it. You're going to put your foot down. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you, you would you have classified yourself at least at that point, like a straight edge kid? Is that a term no. you've used? No, no, okay. definitely not. Um, I mean, that was, and like at that time was when kind of like the emo hardcore scene yeah. stuff was like really happening. And then like we were the metal heads. So, and like all that, you know, the like scene kids were the ones you know got all the straight edge tattoos right, right. and like stuff like that and then we were like the metal heads and obviously the other kids were like oh you guys are all weirdos like <laughs> yeah. like we think of you as all the same that's right um so there was like actually a big clash between like who like because we we're like no we're metal heads they're not metal those are emo kids right because you can make the <laughs> distinction you know yeah. it's like but- you, I get it though. <laughs> just kids, they're like, hey, skate kids, the same thing as a ska kid, is the same thing as a hardcore kid, but that's not true. There's yeah. a lot of, minu- there's a lot of, <laughs> and then, there. I mean, you know, luckily when you get older, you find out that none of that matters, but it does not matter. <laughs> you know, at when all. you're um, 
14 years old, 13 years old, that's like the most important thing. That's you. right. <laughs> like just your identity. Yeah, um, it I is. Guess. Maintaining that. Well, so then it, it feels to me as if perhaps your mom's a self-starter, kind of ambitious, that, that you probably caught that a little bit. But at what point, because you did the college thing, at what point did you realize like, I gotta got to do the four-year thing. I need to get out of school and then go back into school. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, that was like definitely more like my pretty much my junior like senior year of high school yeah. like kind of when um you know i kind of had that turning point like away from the metal friends although and like not to say like you know those kids that i grew up with like and i'm still close with a lot of them today or like if i go back to california i could hit up any of them mm. and most of them like all almost all of them went on to get four-year degrees and are like all like oh really okay doing good things now yeah. you know like we were you know we were the metal kids and like you but know, that's no indicator of not being successful. In some fact, were doing experimental stuff, but it was yeah. like everyone grew out of it and like went on to like do really awesome things. Um, and so for me, like I like weirdly, I have this crazy story. Don't want to get too off track, but like growing up, I was the pickiest eater in the world. Why? Although why? I don't know. My like, brother was too. Like, I was just weird. Although just I loved like broccoli. It. Broccoli you liked? I call it. Yeah. When I was a kid, there were little trees. <laughs> they're still um, a little trees yeah. yeah but um yeah like when i was you know in like elementary school and like you know going into middle school i was just like super picky and like even you know like be like i don't like cheese mom would be like do you or do you like pizza I'm like yeah <laughs> my parents like okay then you like cheese like i don't like tomatoes <laughs> like do you like tomato sauce on your pasta yeah then you like tomatoes. Like, so no, you, were you just being like a like contrarian for the sake of being contrarian? I don't know. Like I remember my sisters, um, they would, when we were really little, like they would have like the typical like snack of putting like slicing tomatoes and having like salt and pepper on yeah. them. And they would like love it. And I would just like look at it and be like, ew, that's so <laughs> gross. Like I had never even tried it. You oh, know? man. Um, and then once I start, like my parents were basically like, yeah, like you're a pain in the ass. Cook your own food. <laughs> Um, and like, I kind of had this like weird control over food Mm -hmm. where like at the same time I was like, yeah, fine. Like it's easier if I just cook it my way and not have to like dictate to you my like special needs of it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then once I hit puberty and like started eating everything that like same mentality of like the control over food stayed, but the palate expanded exponentially. So then I was like in middle school and like, you know, doing all these like weird experiments with food that, yeah. you know, were for like a middle school kid, seemingly like pretty ambitious. Sure, and then sure. like in high school, I would like went even farther and like went to the next level. And then by college, I was like, I don't buy anything that's prepackaged. Really? Kind of um, what is this? Where does this bit of control come? I was kind of like that. I'm still like that about some stuff. But why the control? Is it? Where did it? Where did you get the inclination to be that way? You know? <laughs> I don't know. Um, and I, you know, I don't want to, you know, come off as like I'm a control freak. No, no, but, I'm like, not I just, that, yeah. like, real. I guess I like always really cared about food. Yeah. And like drink and what I was like putting in my body, like mm. you know, for our enjoyment and for sustenance. Um, so I think like that was just always there, I guess. And then yeah. as I like, grew and like you know it evolved from like okay this is annoying because this kid won't eat anything to like oh now it's something that's like kind of beautiful because the palate like the world is my palate in terms of like food and drinks and like yeah try it and like if i have an idea of like i I know what i want then i'll just try to make it and hope it comes out so like there was a while in high school when i I mean, first I wanted to be a tattoo artist. Then I wanted to be a glass blower who only made pipes and bongs. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was always kind of like thinking that someday I wanted to have like a restaurant or a bar. And so there was a while where I was thinking, uh, like, I don't want to go to four-year school. Like, I'll just go to culinary school. Mm. And um, I Take, started... Yeah, it's a more creative path than it's yeah, right? And like, I had started learning about investing, like, just from you know adults in my life and like in high school we had like an economics class senior year for half a semester and we were like did some stock game where you had to like pick fake you know pick stocks and follow them or whatever 
So then I was like, oh, like this is great. I can just in, become an investor and make a ton of money. And then when I have a ton of money, then I can open a restaurant or bar. So it was like, obviously, it really it's a clear cut <laughs> plan, no matter how asinine it could be. That, Elementary yeah, yeah. Um, view of the world and economics. And that was like, right, you know, in like the, the market crash. Like, like 2008, 2007, oh, 2007, 2007, yeah. So I was like, oh, this is like perfect. Like, all the markets are effed up and I can take advantage of this now. It's like, yeah, with what money? Yeah. There's none. No one's um, going to give it to you either at that yeah, point. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, I kind of realized that that wasn't really going to, you know, articulate and like formulate. Right. Um, but also, you know, switching like kind of the second half of high school, I did kind of fall more into like a following the crowd mentality. Mm. Um, and like, you know, I was in like a total suburban town. Like every, everyone went to a four-year college right, for the right. most part. Like it, you know, we had a really good education system, and it was, you know, most kids went on and got four-year degrees. So I just kind of got sucked into that. Like, oh, I guess this is what I'm supposed to do. Right. So whatever, I'll just go get this four-year degree, and then like maybe I'll go to culinary school after. Got it. Right. And I'll set a foundation, and then kind of build. Yeah. On, right? Yeah. So. So you did. You ended up finishing. What? What? Did, it was an interesting degree. Something to do with agriculture. Yeah. Or agricultural. Or, agricultural business. Yeah. Um, which was like something that I kind of fell into in a way. But what like, the hell does that mean? Um. So I found out what it meant the first day. Of, <laughs> the first day. Okay. The first day of AGB one hundred and one. Um, the professor said, "All right." How many of you guys grew up on farms, grew up in, you know, agricultural communities, yeah. went to 4-H, did FFA, like, you want to get into agriculture and, like, take over your family's business right, or right. start doing stuff like that? And half the class raises their hand. And then she says, all right, cool. How many of you guys don't know what you're doing? You've never been on a farm before. You have, like, zero interest in this. And, like, you're probably going to switch majors. Other half. The other half raised their hand, myself included in that. Um, but then she went on to describe, like, look, let me set the record straight. This is not a farming degree, like, mm. unless you want it to be, it can be. But she explained that agribusiness actually encompasses everything from seed to consumption. Amazing, yeah. So that includes, like, the marketing aspect of foods, everything you see in a grocery store or liquor store. Um, and I was like, oh, this is actually really awesome yeah. because now like I, you know, don't have to become like a farmer. I can actually learn about the business side of food, mm -hmm. um, which is something that was really interesting to me. I was like, you know, I'm like, Oh, like I'm like a total like glutton love to like eat everything and like cook and do all this stuff. Like this is actually perfect for me. Well, and it gives you the fact you can peer into the details of the thing that you wanted to so closely control. Does that make sense? So now knowing like the whole line of sight from see for what, what is it soup to nuts, <laughs> right? Like <laughs> yeah, that actually I think probably is pretty appealing. And so I'm wondering, although it makes actually a very clear connection to me, how that translates into you. What's that first experience you have working with food or drink? Thing that things that have those ingredients that allow you to use that degree. Um, you mean like in kind of like in my professional life, like yeah. after college? Um, I mean, really, it started, you know, kind of in the later end of college, and I started realizing, like, okay, like, and I always had internships and, like, work and stuff like that, but I never, like, really joined any clubs or anything, and mm -hmm. I started, like, kind of realizing, like, you know what, like, I need to, like, become, like, a self-starter and, like, get involved with these things that I'm interested in, so um, I, like, kind of created, like, a food, beverage, hospitality club in college. Oh, really? was kind of, like really like trying to make myself like network and get into like this other facet of the industry because right. i realized that i wanted to skip um some of like the business side of things and you know I, this whole i still had this whole crazy investing idea <laughs> still um, still in the back of your mind yeah and i was like you know what like i was taking some like real estate classes and like a lot like focused in finance and um I kind of was taking these classes and like, you know what? Like, I don't really want to do this. I, I want to just go straight into like the hospitality side of things. Yeah. So I started exploring that and, um, we actually had, um, 
and I went to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, which is 30 minutes south of Paso Robles, um, which is where Firestone Brewery is oh, cool. located. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I was able to get Matt Brunlinson, who's, you know, the master brewer of Firestone. He had just won like Brewmaster of the Year for like mm-hmm. the third straight row a uh, year in a row. I got him to come on a campus and give a presentation to my club about beer. Um, wow. and that was something that was pretty cool. And, yeah, it's really know, cool. He didn't know anything about beer other than like, oh yeah, buy like, you know, Keystone Light and drink it all. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so that was something that was really cool. And we, you know, kind of under the radar did a very not on the level beer tasting because <laughs> our campus was like super dry. Right. Um, or like strictly like it was a dry campus. So like even something like that we couldn't do. So we're like, you know what, like. We're gonna let the twenty-one-year-old do like a responsible beer tasting. Yeah, yeah. But like, you know, don't tell anyone and don't ruin it for everyone. Yeah. So that was kind of my first experience. Um, Being well, I mean, a vendor side. Like, wait, this is really cool. Like, you can make yeah all this stuff, and we had like a big wine and viticulture program at Cal Poly. So it's kind of like realizing the differences, like the things that I learned in the wine and viticulture club, mm-hmm. and then hearing Matt Brindlinson talk about beer. I was like seeing that there are two very different things and that was interesting to me um, yeah. to see like what else is out there and how to explore that. Well, you've got this kind of nice mix of going all the way down to how something's produced, but then I imagine too for you that the marketing element is probably pretty interesting as you said yourself, you know. So, but it's the the pieces are starting to come together you are now subtly becoming an event planner <laughs> if you think about it right bringing this guy in he's gonna present i'm gonna coordinate a tasting you're following in your mom's footsteps <laughs> it sounds like you know so when you have and you're kind of building this narrative and still have this <laughs> zany investor idea in the back of your head right maybe hey, that still comes there, in. Man. It's, I, I bet it never goes away just kind of flicking in the back of the head but how does that formulate has that all kind of converged when you get out of school into a gig that's like this is kind of embracing all the stuff that i wanted to pursue learning how something's made learning how to market it Mm -hmm. that was really that really happened um and kind of you know developed definitely a niche to like or a knack rather uh to try and like you know explore new things Mm -hmm. and travel and stuff like that so i did i did uh study abroad in australia for a semester as we were about um and Near Sydney. Oh, um, cool. Okay. Yeah, at Macquarie Uni. So it was like 30 minutes at north of Sydney. Yeah. Um, not quite in the city, but, you know, I totally loved Australia. And, you know, after kind of the pipe dream of like, oh, screw it. I'm just going to stay in Australia forever and not go back to the United States. You know, after that fizzled out because I realized I would never finish college and just be like a dirtbag with no college <laughs> degree, which, I mean, you know, my mom's proof is not, not it's a bad not the thing. case. It's not a yeah, bad thing, yeah. but... Um, they'll you know. kick your ass out of Australia eventually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, and they'll kick my ass out of Australia. So yeah. they'll come back to the you know Cal Poly and be like, oh, like I was just living in Sydney. Like I don't want to go back to like yeah. this tiny college town, and I'm like 26 years old or something. Right. Um, so after that, I was like, I had like two summers left in college, and one of them I spent in Cal Poly, like going to summer school and doing some work for that. And I was like, that's boring. I need to do more. So my last summer vacation ever, quote unquote, I just decided I was going to go to New York. What was it that drew you to? I mean, not like it doesn't have its own appeal, but for you, what drew you um, to it New was, York? I, I went on a trip there with my cousin Leilani and my aunt um, Susan. And they, because they just, my aunt had like a bunch of points at a, you know, hotel and right it was like hey like we're going to new york city for new year's go like do all that stuff um do you want to come with us and i said of course and that was the first time that i had like in my adult life kind of been to new york city on my own mm-hmm. and i started kind of exploring the city and like riding the subways yeah. and, like kind of went off a couple of days and did my own thing i was like this is really cool i want to come back here and like try this out for real yeah yeah so i showed up subletted a room from a you know a buddy from high school that went to nyu and showed up with enough money to last me like three weeks and i was just like i'm gonna get a job and an internship mm-hmm. and i'm gonna pay my way through this summer or i'm gonna right right move back to california and you know have lost all my money tail between the legs right? yeah so i got a job working at shelsky's smoked fish which is a deli in brooklyn um 
So I learned how to slice smoked fish and <laughs> had like bagels and locks for the first time ever. Change your life? Yeah, actually. The first day of you know work or like the training and he's like, okay, have whatever sandwich you want for, for lunch. And I was like looking at the ingredients. I'm like, what the heck? It's all new stuff, like, right? That sounds so weird. Mm-hmm. And then I tried, I tried whatever one like sounded the safest. Yeah. And it was amazing. So that was definitely life-changing. Um, and then I ended up getting an internship at Q Drinks. The um, tonic, right? The, yeah, yeah, so Q Tonic. Um, obviously, their flagship that most people know. So but They have and, a ginger, too, I think, right? Like a couple yeah, of things. Yeah. yeah, they have a ginger ale, a ginger beer. Um, so that was like my first kind of real step into that world. And their you know, main, main focus was off-premise and, you know, Whole Foods was right. like their number one customer. So... I spent a lot of time like walking around New York City, like merchandising the shelves at yeah, Whole Foods. Yeah. But but that's, that's that's like respectable work. That's, that is paving the way. What that's paying the dues. That's what I was like. <laughs> yeah, for. that's setting up the amps, carrying the amps, setting up drums, man. That's yeah. what that is. Yeah. So and I, on my off days in New York that summer, I would just go to restaurants and bars and like talk to bartenders and talk to restaurant owners and just kind of like get in the scene yeah. and Q, Q drinks, they started, you know, PDT, Gramercy Tavern, Milk and Honeys, like stuff like that. Yeah. So they had this history of um, bartenders, like really loving the product and kind of creating the brand. Mm-hmm. But the focus was so much on merchandising and like, you know, of course off premise is what's making like way more money than, you know, selling, a couple of you know, right. cases a year to a, a bar. Um, so I kind of started just on my own finding opportunities in the on-premise world and, you know, talking to like the beer distributors and talking to like the people at the restaurants and bars and kind of like on my own time, like mm-hmm. when I you know, was off the clock of the internship, still working and just kind of like trying to get involved in the scene like that yeah. and just, you know, kind of wake up every day like, yeah, I don't really know what I'm doing, but I'm doing something. Yeah, well, you're you're out there discovering, investigating, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like trying to uncover the rocks to get a better understanding of this mm-hmm. stuff. And like I had somehow secured a meeting with Mayor Subaru, who's, you know, he was um, one of the founders of Bitterman's and he mm. was really involved with like Union Beer, creating um, their craft spirits division, Blueprint and stuff like that and you know partners in a couple bars in new york city and i didn't know who he was and i was just like hey i have this meeting with my or um you know what are we doing like and I was, there was the person who was the full-time person at the time was yeah. like, oh my god you got a meeting with him like how like i've been trying to always get in contact with him he's like a ghost i'm like i don't know like i don't even know who this guy is like, <laughs> yeah. we have a meeting with him to like and in my mind i was like trying to figure out how we could collaborate yeah um the like the spirit side of what they were doing with the soda side of us and trying to like create some sort of strategic partnership but i didn't know nothing about nothing so i like went to this meeting and the person who was the full-time role came with me and i kind of started talking and they're like uh like yeah you don't know what you're talking (laughs) and then they you know kind of like put me in my place and right continued the conversation but it's yeah it was at q was kind of this like that was said, the this start of it yeah exploration yeah of like trying to make things happen but not quite knowing <laughs> did they end up hiring you on full-time yeah okay um when i graduated that was my first uh full-time job how long were you with them with them for two years and you at some point transitioned into whiskey we'll talk about it as whiskey but did you when was that about how far after leaving q that was, was that the next gig? that was yeah immediately after what did, what did you think or rather did you think you were ready for such a large and a more charismatic role like that given it was only just the two years with q i think so um you know maybe i was right maybe i was wrong <laughs> i mean I, yeah. I guess i kind of had this ambition and through like my you know kind of stumbling journey with q um <laughs> I found out about the USBG and became a member and started going to those USBG meetings and meeting a bunch of bartenders and going to Tales of the Cocktail and Thirst Boston. Mm -hmm. Somehow I got to go to Camp Run Amok, stuff like that. So um, being like really involved on the educational side and 
after meeting all these liquor brand ambassadors. And I was like, this is what I need to model what I'm doing at Q okay. after. Like, because they had no, I basically, when I started with Q full time, it was, you know, kind of the mark merchandising yeah. type of thing. And he's like, yeah, like, you know, go do merchandising in the morning and then you can like go visit restaurants and bars after. But I realized that the two worlds are so different. Sure. Like I can't walk into Whole Foods wearing like a shirt and tie because um, the guys who are, you know, who I'm helping stock the shelves with, they're going to laugh me out of the store. Right. But then I can't turn around and after wearing gym shorts and a t-shirt merchandising shelves, I can't turn around and go have a sales meeting at the Four Seasons right. wearing that. So I kind of like realized that they're two like very different worlds. And I kind of pushed to have Q make me a full-time on-premise person. Is it? And is that how it worked out? Yeah, that was how it worked out. That's um, good. You managing than, your own career. Yeah. <laughs> faster than I was hoping for, yeah. too. Um, but they didn't have like a on-premise like salesperson slash brand ambassador program. Yeah. And so I really wanted to model what I did with them because I saw how like the liquor brand ambassadors, they were they were just like control the crowd at any type of function that right. they were at. And they had like this celebrity to them and they knew everybody. Yeah. And they're maestros. Yeah. And so I was really kind of inspired by that and was like, if I'm going to make this Q thing work, I need to do that so i was right. like really trying to mimic what they were doing um although of course with a non-alcoholic uh, product but i was still you know trying to do all the same things that they did mm. but for my brand and so when the time came that um there was an opportunity to move into the actual whiskey ambassador i was so excited about were you, that were you drinking whiskey at the point oh of course yeah of course <laughs> <laughs> i was born with a whiskey bottle in my mouth <laughs> Oh, whoa, whoa. <laughs> um, well, but yeah, yeah. Symbolically that, speaking. Of course. But you, um, I mean, so that gave you, it sounds like it's appealing because it gives you a little more freedom. You get to be the, not center of attention, because I don't want you to sound like an egotist, right? <laughs> or egoist. But it, it gives you a little, it's more pressure, right? And it makes you perform a little bit more than you probably had to before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, and not to say there wasn't pressure with Q, because that was like creating something from nothing. So. Right. The pressure was actually really high because, like, make this work or right or you don't. get out. Yeah, but of course, yeah, you know, much smaller brand. The money wasn't as big, like in terms of the budgets of that. Yeah, the budgets that you're playing with. Yeah, and now as much red. You know, there was obviously no legal red tape because it was soda. Right, right. So I was just kind of like going around and making things happen. So switching into that whiskey world where. Now there's a bunch of legal red tape. The budgets are higher. It's much more corporate. So and there's a lot of fucking know. people that know a lot about whiskey. <laughs> there's dude. a lot of people that know a lot about whiskey. Yeah, and care and, about it. Like yeah. passionately. And I'm not reporting directly to the founder of the company who is sitting at a desk like 10 feet away right, from me. Right, right. Now I'm like part of this machine. Yeah. Um, so that was like a huge, yeah, huge learning curve for me. Did you like it culturally? I did, um, very much so. Yeah. And I mean, you know, at that point I was part of the Masters of Whiskey team with Diageo and that team just had so much camaraderie and we kind of, yeah, we were all, we were just all a family. So, yeah. you know, definitely having that like core team where we were all working together for the same goal, um, that definitely was very appealing to me. And I felt like, I felt like I was a part of something yeah. um, a lot bigger. So and then you so that kind of dissolved not well the program did in a sense but also you kind of split ways it was 2016 with um, Diageo or was it yeah than that? that was yeah last um, last year you know basically in October was the end of it so you know the end you know the end of something and um, yeah wasn't you know not involved anymore so. right can you be subject like because. A lot of people have been pretty critical about Diageo's decision to do that. Mm -hmm. Are you able to be subjective about it and say that you think <clears throat> that cutting education, it could be anybody, it could be Bacardi, right? But Diageo, whoever. Yeah. Do you think that it's a wise decision for companies to cut educational 
funding ultimately like that? Hmm. So one of the things that I've noticed is that Diageo's, you know, and this is just things that I've deduced and like yeah right right, right like i don't it doesn't seem like they're completely cutting education but they restructured what they're doing got it yeah. where now there's let and you know i may be completely wrong but this is just what i've seen it seems like maybe there's less people doing more in-depth education yeah and then more people doing something else um, gotcha. so okay. there's you know certainly an educational aspect to it but with you know with that and so many you know larger companies kind of cut programs or changed up what they're doing. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's important for everyone to have like a really strong base and like, does everyone need to have like, I, you know, part of the masters of whiskey program, we had to take the general certificate in distilling, which luckily, luckily I passed. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, because if I failed it, then <laughs> I would, you know, obviously in 2017, if I really wanted it, I would have to pay for it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, do it myself. Um, with all the, all the resources that um, we we had at Diageo, but like, does everyone necessarily need to know all that super 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 nerdy stuff? No, you don't. Maybe, maybe not. I, yeah, I don't um, know. But does everyone need to have a super strong base? Certainly. Yeah. So you know, there's a lot to be said to having a strong educational platform where at least you're getting beyond the basics, um, because obviously, you know, if you're a brand ambassador, you really need to. You need to know beyond the basics, and yeah, right. you may not need to know every you know very in depth intricacy. Because um, that's not going to matter to the customers ultimately. You know, maybe a few of them, one for every like ten thousand that need that specific mm-hmm. specific gravity of the ferment or some shit like that. Yeah, know? but I mean, the thing that it does, it makes you so much more confident in your ability to speak about the stuff. And yeah. you know, looking back at my. Q days when I was like watching these brain ambassadors in awe, like controlling the room and being so knowledgeable. If you have that stuff in your back pocket, then you know you can field any question. You totally. can um, speak super knowledgeably and confidently about the whole process. Mm-hmm. And like for me now that I'm behind the stick a couple nights a week, I love it that I have all this knowledge because if someone comes in and they have a question about whiskey, I can like get super nerdy with them if they want or I can go surface level. But at the end of the day, I'm able to deliver the answers that they want. Yeah. And then some, because, you know, I'll always try to, you know, flex the whiskey knowledge muscles and like start keep them strong. Yeah. Like I'll like, you know, try to spark something with that guest where they, you know, yeah, maybe they, they just learned that bourbon is not different from whiskey bourbon is actually a type of whiskey right and that now there's all these different types of whiskey but now if i can spark it to like grab their attention on something else and like keep the conversation going with them that's like engaging the guests so i'm like creating a repertoire with them yeah they're becoming more comfortable and like if you think about it um everyone you know they're coming to a restaurant or a bar and they're out of their element um they're just trying to have a good time and Mm. especially when you're in like a cocktail bar um, luckily, that whole kind of aura of like you need to be really educated as a guest and like know what you're talking about and like you know be embarrassed if you don't know what's in an old fashioned or like be embarrassed if you order a vodka soda. Like, yeah. luckily, we're moving away from that. But the more I can kind of command the stage of the guests and like get them talking, that's just more opportunity for me to sell more whiskey well, yeah and get better tips what do you got to create people like, on this you know create a conversation sure. like build a relationship with the customer so how long have you been at the bar in brooklyn now is, is um, sweet poly is sweet poly yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, i've been at sweet poly since november we opened up um mid-november and i came in like the, probably like the second week yeah um so not you know not the opening opening team but um i'm definitely you know been there What's Almost it, since day one. What does it feel like in that bar? When If I were to walk in there and just kind of trans, transport some people that might be listening. Like if you go <laughs> and you sit down at the bar, what's that feel like being there? So um, I unfortunately have never been to Europe very much. I did, you know, I did like a quick stop in Spain mm-hmm. uh, a couple of years ago. But 
so I don't have you know full knowledge of this, but I've heard people say that it feels like a European cafe. Oh, cool! Which to me is super cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, yeah, it's like it's like warm, inviting. We have like these big windows in the front that yeah. let in a ton of natural light if there you know if there is natural light right, <laughs> um, right. that day and big tall ceilings the ceilings are painted gold and they're original from like the 1800s it's oh, just wow. like a wide open like warm welcoming space and we have this beautiful um marble bar yeah wow um so it just yeah it just feels inviting and i've heard a lot of people say that it feels like a french or like a european yeah cafe. i love that because it's that's, that's distinct you know the um the majority partner um murat he's from turkey and he owns a couple coffee shops in brooklyn that are um really popular coffee shops and i think that translates a lot to the bar yeah although you know our bar manager bruno diaz and you know he's one of the partners in the bar too he basically did all the conceptualization of designing the, the physical bar part of the bar. Mm. Um, but I definitely think having that collaboration of Bruno, who started as a bar back, and he you know, has worked at a ton of different places in New York City, so he has a strong working knowledge of bars. And then Murat, who owns coffee shops. Mm kind of that collaboration. So it's like a perfect hybrid between the both of them. Yeah, like when you walk in, it really feels welcoming and like warm and inviting. Yeah. Just as like, you know, your neighborhood coffee shop does. That's killer. Um, well, so it, it really begs the question, and why the hell are you in Austin, Texas? And why were you driving <laughs> from Albuquerque? It um, seems like there's this road trip. I mean, I heard about this. You gotta- so so my, uh, my younger sister, Jenna, and um, she's three years younger than me. She's mm. the middle child. She is super awesome and like way crazy. Yeah. And um, she basically, she's a writer um, and a photographer. Yeah. And she, in college, became very, very passionate about outdoors life and um, specifically rock climbing oh, and cool. like backpacking. And she did a study abroad herself and did a bunch of traveling and things like that. So she's really. Um, basically doing the whole, like, anything you can do, I can do better. Okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, not intentionally, but she's, like, very, very talented, yeah. very, very smart, very, very sociable, a super gifted writer, like, just a gifted person in right. general, and she kicks ass. <laughs> so um, she basically became really into traveling. She became really into rock climbing, and she's just going with it. So she built um, – she bought a Mercedes Sprinter van mm-hmm. and outfitted it. So this thing has a king size bed, a storage space. Oh, um, wow. and she calls it. She calls the van old rusty. Yeah. Um, <laughs> appropriate. Appropriate. She's like, um, it has cabinets and it's a whole like, you know, a little kitchen counter. Like mm-hmm. it is a van that you can live in, and she is doing that right now. Killer. Um, so she, she was. Um, commissioned to write a few pieces about climbing and van life and backpacking. Um, so she was, she was in Red Rock. Then she went to Zion, mm-hmm. Moab and finished um, that portion of her trip in Indian Creek and just like completely dirt bagging it, rock climbing, like kicking total ass. Right. There, right. Uh, it sounds like. And then now she's, you know, Finishing that uh, she's actually right now <laughs> finishing up. Uh, I think the, her last two pieces um, that she has deadlines for for like that portion of the trip, and she's on her way to Chattanooga mm. and to Virginia to you know do some writing stuff over there. And I kind of you know I don't want to say I commandeered the trip, but her and I have a history of traveling together. Yeah. Um, because, you know, I kind of always had this spark of travel too. And she's just like really grabbing it by the horn. So I went when she was in Buenos Aires studying abroad. I decided I was going to go visit her. Yeah. Um, and just the timing of when I could go. She wasn't in Buenos Aires, but she was in Patagonia down at Torres del Pine hiking, you know, super far down south and like one of the, like, the most beautiful like national parks down there. So I went and met her up and we did like a little backpacking trip there. And then the next summer 
she went back to Buenos Aires and I went and visited her in Buenos Aries mm. and then ended up going back to Patagonia. So to, you're saying you're crashing the party? You're crashing <laughs> the rock climbing much, party? I'm pretty much crashing her rock climbing party. Have but, you been bartending through the whole thing? Um, I'm going to bartend here in Austin at Firehouse tomorrow. Right. And I'm um, hoping to bartend in a couple other cities, oh, um, cool. NOLA, Birmingham, and Nashville oh, as nice. well. So, but basically, you know, I'm kind of crashing our party, but she, cause she had to get east and she was kind of like, well, like after, you know, basically after like Utah, yeah, like the climbing kind of ends, kind of kicks really, yeah. you know, the country gets flat. Like, but that's where the, the drinking begins. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. I know. So luckily, you know, through, through our world, I have um, a lot of, you know, close friends yeah. and connections throughout the South and kind of this yeah deep connection to the south just kind of yeah we have like a lot of unsuspecting like bartending hubs yeah down here what's well, i mean it's cool that you're doing austin going east i mean yeah so it's be a good gig i kind of thought like hey like don't go to all these places alone i'll come with you and like i have friends where we can probably get a place to crash right. like take showers do laundry um and it kind of, you know, kind of snowballed into something bigger than maybe it could have been or should have yeah. been or whatever. But, you know, that's kind of go with it, just right? what happens. Um, so, um, yeah, I'll be visiting some friends and doing some bartending around the South. Yeah. Um, and we, you know, we kind of created this hashtag because we call each other drifters, mm -hmm. basically. Um, that's why my Instagram is drifter palette actually yeah <laughs> is because of um you know anytime we go on a trip together we call it drifting so um we made this hashtag drifting the south that we're like using to like oh like we're like doing this crazy thing um and tokyo drifting this mother right oh <laughs> uh, yeah that well <laughs> it's good man well so i'm trying to you know i got two more questions for you okay and one of which is a little creative but the other one is you know it seems like kind of built each step is is an enlargement of the previous one right it's like you kind of learn how to do on premise off premise get more skills sit in front of a class you can educate more you learn more etc cetera, etc cetera. so when you step from behind the bar again when what do you think that next move looks like for you oh that is a big philosophical question <laughs> could um, be i don't know yeah i'm kind of i mean i'm in a place right now where when I, I'm I kind of back in like the exploration phase, um, much like I did at, you know, when I was at Q, I'm kind of revisiting that exploration yeah. um, because when I was a full-time ambassador, I saw so many of my close bartending friends who have kind of built their own careers and they do all these really entrepreneurial things where yeah. they have LLCs and they, you know, do events for brands and they... Right do consulting and they make menus for people and they're doing like all this like cool entrepreneurial stuff. Um, and I had always really admired that. And now, you know, and I'm also, I'm working part-time for Whistlepig right now as well. Oh, so, cool. okay. you know, if that evolves into something and that's like, I love Whistlepig mm -hmm. like to death. It's like literally rye goodness. Yeah. Rye, like very, very goodness. And Dave Pickerel was really kind of the first person who inspired me to become you know, even like think about getting into like whiskey ambassador life yeah. to begin with. So, you know, I really owe it uh, to them. Um, so I'm working for them part time right now just because it's like, hell, like, you know, I'm not above working part time. Like, you know, maybe I am, maybe I am yeah. not, probably not. But Whistlepig is a brand that I love so much when I saw they were hiring, even though it was part time. I was like, yes, Perfect I'm on board. Match, yeah. <laughs> um, but right now I'm kind of in the exploration phase where I'm figuring out do I want to like live this kind of entrepreneurial consulting freelance type lifestyle? Mm -hmm. um, do I want to go back to full-time brand work? Do I want to do something completely different and like sell all my stuff and become a dirtbag drifter with my sister? Full-time, yeah. <laughs> well, I like it. I mean, it's kind of an interesting crossroads. I'm, I'm very interested to see where exactly you go from that, you know? Well, so here's the last piece then for you. I think that leaves us with a little bit of suspense, right? It's like, well, fuck, I don't know where Ryan's going. Right? <laughs> I have no idea. Well, the other thing that is, 
and I ask this question every time now in the interviews, but let's just say, you know, you're traveling abroad, you're wherever your favorite bar might be in this world and you're drinking whatever you want to drink, but you can sit there at the bar and have a conversation with any person living or deceased. Who might you like to just sit at that bar and have a deep conversation with? Oh, wow. That is quite the question. I mean, I feel like Zach Taylor Roca. Oh, jeez. Machine. Yeah. <laughs> or or I maybe even Tom. I mean, or Tom Morello, Tom, Tom right? Morello, yeah. Like those guys are just like so out there. Yeah. I mean, you know, they can pro- they can definitely put a more coherent sentence than Jello Biafra from Dead Kennedys together. <laughs> so he'd be pretty cool to talk to you too. Yeah. Um. Yeah, because they're like, I mean, Rage Against the Machine was such like an influential band in my young life. Yeah. And they've kind of, you know, fallen by the wayside a little bit or they, you know, they broke up or whatever. So, but they, they like have their beliefs and just like go for it so much. Yeah. So, you know, Zach or Tom would definitely be really interesting people to talk to and they're, you know, so like in tune with the world in a way that I'm not. I think there'd be a lot to learn from either one of those guys. Yeah. Man. Yeah. I saw him in 96. Oh, I'm back jealous. in the day. Lost my shoe within 20 seconds. Oh, then fucking man. playing Bulls on Parade. I had tickets to see them when they came back. Um, this was in like, what, 2006, maybe? Mm-hmm. 2007. Um, but then, yeah, I like got grounded or something. Couldn't be. <laughs> <laughs> Typical. Don't get grounded, people. Don't fucking get grounded because then you'll miss some great shows or get sick either way i miss guar because i was grounded too oh man and it's never going to be the same with guar now that's true it's 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 a shame but it's good man i'm glad you're in town i'm glad we got a chance to sit down and talk and i think that firehouse is the perfect place to start some trouble in austin (laughs) man it's it's been a privilege and ryan i really appreciate you taking the time out and we'll chat more soon i hope yeah, uh, thank you very much, Mike. This was totally awesome experience for cool. me. Pleasure chatting with you, and yeah, I'm you know looking forward to seeing. Um, this is my first time in Austin, so looking forward to check this place out. And I think uh, my sister and I now we're gonna go do some like outdoorsy stuff because that's like you know I'm more passionate about alcohol, but she's way more passionate about outdoor stuff. So we're gonna try to do the best of both worlds on this yeah, trip. Perfect balance, dude. Yeah. All right, well, best of luck with it. Great weather too. Awesome. Right, well, thank you soon. very much. Thank you. Well, there we have it. Mr. Ryan Herzog, a good guy. Yeah, it's going to be exciting to see him slinging some Fratelli Branca. Amari's your way. Maybe he will start another metal band, but it's great to see a close sense of family, a guy who's great at communicating, and just all around, you know, a good guy, someone you want to sit down and have a drink with. Ryan, it was great to have you in Austin. I hope you can come back soon and we'll chill out just a little bit more. So thanks, everybody, for listening to Show to V with Mike G., I'd like to say that ShowToV.com will be launched this week. You get a little more content, a little more ramblings from my stupid, broken mind, and all this wonderful podcast material that I hope you've grown to love and enjoy. So if you're also binging the Netflix original series Love Sick because you're infatuated with English rom-coms or you're thinking, is Phantom Thread really going to be Daniel Day-Lewis's last movie? Please, keep dancing.